Welcome to the e-commerce made simple podcast. I'm your host, Jérôme de Guigny. And today we're going to talk about a topic we don't talk much about here is about expanding in the US. We e-commerce basically is based in Europe, but we handle brands all over the world uh, in Japan, in, in Saudi, in Europe, but also in the US. And Understanding the U.S. when you're from Europe is not very simple. Understanding Europe from when you're from the U.S. is not simple either. But here, the idea is to invite people who live and help brands in the U.S. to expand to talk about how to create a winning U.S. market strategy. What are the, like, what are the major problems when it comes to that? Because obviously, there is the saying in the U.K. that we always talk about the U.S.A. and the U.K. being two countries divided by the same language. Which, you know, it just basically means we say the same thing, but they can mean very different things. So is that kind of one of the main things or is there, is there huge differences between the European customers buying habits and the Americans customers buying habits? Like what would be the main differences there? Well, the, there are some differences, but it's based because on brand awareness will be different on each on each side. Like uh, some brands, obviously Coca-Cola, Levi's, all of that is well-known worldwide, but you will have local, uh, local brands and things which appeal to, uh, or some products will appeal to Americans and some to Europeans or to Brits. Uh, and it's also that the, the way the laws and the rules are also different. Like in Europe, you can't, uh, like you can't apply minimum advertise price or map pricing in the US you can. So it makes a lot of differences for brands and because consumers uh, behave differently because the laws and the environment is, is a bit different. And that's why it's very important to understand that, to be able to master uh, both on, on both sides of, of the sea, uh, this, your success. I think we've been doing things with um, American companies um, at the moment and one of the things is, in Britain especially, you're not allowed to say, this, our product is better than X product. You're not allowed to actually name somebody else's product yet. Yet in America, you can. And that, you know, I've had American companies who I've worked with who have said, can, can we not just say that we're much better than, you know, this chocolate bar is much better than that chocolate bar. And it's like, no, 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 you can't do it in that country. And so that sort of thing. I mean, that's a really big legal minefield, I guess. Yeah, and, and it does change the habits of consumers, change the habits of brands, and therefore the, the expectations of, of customers or the, what you can say, not say, is different. And it's therefore very important uh, when you're going to Europe to understand the different European markets, but also the same is when you're going to the US to have local people who, on, who understand what you, know, what, what you can say and not say. Um, speaking of local people, who are we talking to? We're talking to Rhonda and Anthony for the uh, MPG group, which is a consulting group which helps medium to very large brands uh, expand and be successful uh, in the US online and offline. So they have a great experience on, on both sides. So enjoy your show, everyone. Here we go. So welcome everyone. I'm super happy to be here tonight because we were traveling. We are traveling and uh, sitting here, but traveling and going to the States with Anthony and, and Rhonda who will help us understand what it takes to be to get started in the US and, and to be successful, uh, specifically for e-commerce, but like the US is big and there is other uh, other things so we we can where we can be successful, where brands can can expand. So I'm I'm very excited to have both of you. We've we've known each other for quite some time now uh, with with MPG. So I usually start with a fun fact from someone. So we'll have one. So who's got a fun fact? Who's who's going first? I think Anthony, I, I, I honestly, like, hello, everybody. Um, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending on where you are in the world. But uh, I don't really have a lot of fun facts. So I'm going to I'm going to ask Anthony for his fun fact. Um, Very nice. I see the dynamics. So that's a uh, uh, throwing over. OK, you didn't do your homework, so that's that's OK. That's OK. We'll pass on the fun fact. You will might have to go back to that. Later. Well, you like this, Jerome. I texted my wife. I was like, give me a fun fact about myself because that's how it works. So 
for anyone that knows me knows I love sports, especially college sports here in the U.S. And um, over the last few years, I was able to help my alma mater with naming rights for their two main sports facilities for their football stadium and basketball events arena. So I went to Rutgers University. So did two uh, pretty cool partnership deals uh, for sports naming rights. So I'm pretty proud of that one. Okay, that's, that's a proud fact. And uh, like it's, it's, yeah, you can be proud. Well done. So we have someone actually famous naming a stadium. So that <laughs> that's cool. Come on. And now um, thanks for, for the opening uh, smiles. And maybe let's talk a bit about yourselves and about MPG, who you are and why it makes sense for, for you to talk about the, the US. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'll jump in. So um, Rhonda Johnson, really nice to meet all of you. Um, my background is really in manufacturing. So, you know, my fun fact is probably that I started out in finance, you know, when I was a, a, a young, very young uh, business person. And um, I did that for about five years and decided I didn't like to be in finance. So I went into uh, commercial sales primarily uh, within the U.S., have done some global stints, understand the global marketplace for sure. Um, but it's just really nice to be here. We've been with MPG. I've been with MPG for about seven years, as has Anthony. Um, actually, Anthony, that could have been a fun fact for us. So when I first met Anthony, um, I asked him if he was married because he seemed so young, a young buck. And I was like, I had a daughter that was like 24, 25. And he's like, sorry, Rhonda, I'm married already. So that might be my fun fact. But um, the reality is we've both been with MBG now for about the same time. Um, and it's just been an amazing ride in terms of coming off of uh, companies and brands and manufacturers like J&J and, and Merck and Bayer um, and working with you know iconic, iconic global brands, right? Um, but the beautiful thing about um, what we do at MPG is we work with small, medium, and large. So I brought all of that, you know, learning with me in terms of big company. Um, but what I've really done over the last number of years with MPG is helped companies uh, all the way from startup to U.S. market entry, um, very much in the commercial sales and marketing space. So high intelligence on retailer strategies, things like that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been a great ride. So Anthony. Awesome. Uh, my background is a little different than, uh, my dear friend, Rhonda. Um, I basically have a sales and business development background done all different things in that role. I've been at a large, um, agency in New York city to college sports sponsorships to fundraising. Uh, and really when I joined MPG kind of leveraged those, those hopeful skills, to work across MPG, right? We are a CPG sales services and consulting firm, which Rhonda will get into more. Uh, so I was kind of the utility player for a while, just kind of uh, you know bringing in clients across the board. And really five years ago, true story, I think it was like a Thursday, uh, leadership at MPG said, you're getting on a plane Sunday, uh, and you're going to Seattle and you're gonna create our e-commerce division and partnership. Um, so if you think of, Five years ago to today, e-commerce has become one of MPG's largest businesses, serving clients of all different sizes, all different categories, um, not only on Amazon, but you know, retailer.com and beyond. And it's really a good bolt-on to the rest of our business, which you'll hear more about soon. So nice to meet you all. Great. So let's learn a bit more, more about MPG because the only thing I see is that uh, like pe different people try to get their daughters married with a different employee so that, that's one <laughs> aspect of MPG but what, what does MPG do in, in a few words uh, for, for brands? Yeah you know what I'll, um, I'll, I'll start with um, first of all I want to acknowledge and, and thank Ecomas um, in terms of we have a great partnership with uh, with Jerome and others at Ecomas. And interestingly, um, we overlap. We overlap, frankly, in terms of some of our capabilities, some of our services that we offer to our clients. Um, but I think MBG would always say one plus one equals three in that there's room for everybody. And so, you know, I'm very proud and honored to be part of this, this, um, this webcast today because you know, competitors can look at each other as like competitors, right? We, 
we don't look at e-commerce that way. We really do partner in many ways, shapes, and forms. Um, so here's what I would tell you about MPG. Primarily, we're focused on the U.S. and Canada. I think we have global perspective, um, but we're primarily focused on the U.S. and Canada in terms of the marketplace. Uh, we are end-to-end, -end, so we can help you with your business strategy in terms of how you want to enter the U.S., and then we can also catch and execute for you all the way through to being your account management team, running your retailer businesses, retailer brick and mortar businesses, right? Um, as well as all of the dot-coms. So beyond Amazon, we do retailer.com, Walmart, Target, Costco, et cetera. Um, we can also catch your inventory. So we have order to cash, full capability. We have a vendor number in the US. So we can catch your inventory and carry it through all the way through, the, through to the retailer. And then um, certainly not least is we've got a full suite of data. So IRI and Nielsen and Numerator and Kantar and all of those things that cost companies a lot of money. We have full service there in terms of having the data available. And then we also can be your analytics team. How do you analyze it? What are the insights, et cetera? And then very last but not least is, uh, is around uh, marketing services. So we can definitely help you with your marketing strategy, how you're you know, in, um, interacting with the consumer broadly um, across digital, all platforms, et cetera, in terms of, um, in, in terms of what we do, if that helps. Anthony, and you crushed it. <laughs> well done. So I think that gives it like a, anything you would need to go on, on, in, on the American state on, on many, many topics. Most probably MPG can, can do it for you. And that would be my, my, my view on it with my own words. But so thanks both for you on that. Let's say if we, if we take a step back and we say, okay, let's say for an audience which is not from the US, how would you describe in your own words uh, the, the potential of the American market or why it, it makes sense or why you, you, know, you would launch or you would expand to the US uh, and what, what's the size of the prize or what, how you would, you know, what, why would, is it a good idea in your own words? Yeah, and Anthony, I think, you know, you and I can tag team on this for sure, but, um, you know, here's a couple things. I mean, we, we obviously know that you know, I, I think in every strat plan, small, medium, large companies, like the, the um, Nirvana, I'll call it, is, you know, to get into the U.S. market just because of the size of the population and the consumer spending and all of those things, right? Like I always think about, you know, the U.S., um, you've got the U.S. and then you've got Canada and the U.S. is 10 times larger than Canada. So obviously you want to go where, you know, you're going to get the richest um, ROI in terms of your investment of time, money, et cetera. And so obviously there's lots of reasons. And I would also say that, um, you know, it's rich in the context of diversity of consumer packaged goods. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but, you know, kind of where the key trends are and what's happening in the marketplace today. Um, I think it's a, it, it's a rich market, but it's not an easy market, right? I mean, there's a, you know, I think Anthony always says for, for every one successful launch, there's nine unsuccessful launches, right? And so it's a complex market, but you know, I mean, right now the the um, the value of consumer goods in the U.S. You know, that a different conversation in terms of what's happening in entertainment and the restaurant industry and all of those things. But the value of consumer goods right now, based on what we've been going through over the last two to three years, is is significant. And you, you talked about the challenges, like it, it's it's like 10% success rate is uh, not very high, right? In terms of uh, starting businesses. What, what, what are the main challenges? What, if you could put a, your finger on, on a few, I don't know, Antonio or Yoronda, of what, what, you know, what, what makes a difference or what, 
Like, why are there so many uh, unsuccess cases? Yeah, I mean, Anthony, you may want to jump in from an e-commerce standpoint. I think it would be really critical for this audience to understand that. Um, and then I'll pile on as well. Sure. Just one thing on the last comment, right? The obvious one is there's a lot of fish in the sea here, right? But I think what's cool is there's, there's so many different channels, right? You don't have to be successful in every channel day one. You're not going to get into all channels day one either, but right, there's mass, there's food, there's drug, there's e-commerce on its own. And I think that's unique. But I, I think of when you're entering this market, you know, Rhonda and I always talk about, you know, the, what's your strategic plan, which is obvious, but I, I like to go down a click, like what does success look like to you? Because then that informs everything you do, but it also kind of highlights what your obstacles could be, right? So I think everything from, does your brand resonate in the US? Is there demand for your product? What's your value proposition? And then once you solve for the, those big things, you know, what, um, what's your assortment strategy gonna be for the US? Uh, what's your pricing strategy going to be? What's the competitive landscape? There's no shortage of competitors here, no matter where you're playing. Um, and then, and then there's the other stuff. You know, what's your fulfillment model going to be? Who are your right partners, etc. But that's a lot to digest. And you know, we got off a, a business development call this morning with a company that's crazy successful, Amazon US, and they want to enter the US retail market. And we kept hammering home: you have to have a strategic plan. Yes, you can talk to this retailer. Yes, that retailer fits well with your product, but what if you get in or what if you don't get in? What, what's going to happen with the other retailers? So it's start at the high level, work your way down the funnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other, the other thing I would add to, um, I mean, everything that Anthony just said was, is so critical. Um, pricing, right? Pricing is so important in terms of like when you're thinking about you know, Anthony said strategic plan, but even from a business planning standpoint, as you're building out your roadmap, the cadence in the U.S. is how do you not, how do, how do you do it in a way that doesn't deflate your pricing strategy and your pricing potential? Um, like often people want to go to Walmart first, like, okay, we're on Amazon. That's awesome. And then they say, well, the next big bucket that we want to tackle is Walmart. And I was like, well, I, I shouldn't say I was like, but I, when, you, when you think about that, you have to think about your pricing strategy holistically. What's the impact of your pricing on Amazon? What's your impact, impact of pricing on direct consumer? And then what's the impact of Walmart in the US being a um, ADLP, right? Uh, they wanna be like best price in the market. Once you go there, it's really hard to expand beyond there because you can't go up, you have to come down. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that um, you need to think through in terms, of, in terms of how and why you're entering the US. So, and like from what I'm hearing from uh, like to, to the point of, you know, what makes it, what's different between success and lack of success is probably a lack of planning or a lot of strategic reasoning behind, of, you know, what you want to achieve. And I think it blends really into, do you think there's a recipe, uh, like you've given some ideas already about, okay, if you go everywhere, uh, probably you will have a pricing problem and, you know, you, you will have no profit at the end or, or your brand will be damaged. So we, we see some, some ideas, but do you have a kind of recipe of, uh, okay, what is the best successful path? If I'm a European brand, for example, and I want to expand into US, do you have a, like a, a five-step uh, recipe or how, how, what's your approach uh, as MPGO for that? Yeah, um... I would tell you that there's never a one size fits all. And the beauty of, you know, what we do as MPG and Ecomash, you probably do the same thing, but um, the beauty at MPG is like, we do a deep dive, like we always call it an immersion, but we do a deep dive on, you know, the, the brand. I'm going to say the brand specifically, it might be a portfolio of brands, but the brand specifically um, and we'll do a really deep dive to say, okay, what is the potential? And part of potential is also about the risk associated with, you know, 
we often say as you're entering the U.S., you've got to be really thoughtful in terms of how you want to enter. Is it direct to consumer, which is really big right now in the U.S. around we almost recommend a brand always has a direct-to-consumer strategy. It doesn't mean that you need to um, um, pick and ship independently, although there's partners that can help you do that. But the direct-to-consumer opportunity is really around your engagement. From a branding perspective, your engagement with the consumer. You can direct the consumer to Amazon, but you want to build the relationship with the consumer first in the marketplace. And then what's really interesting, and it's a little, um, I wouldn't even say tip or trick, but the retailers, the brick and mortar retailers, they have people on their teams that are scrubbing what's happening on Amazon, in the marketplace, socially, right? Instagram, Instacart, Google, you name it. They're scrubbing for brands that they're interested in engaging with. And so we always say, I mean, again, it depends on the size of the company, the tolerance for spend, but we would always say, if you're entering the US for the first time, there's certain steps you do need to take. Anthony mentioned, you know, brand relevance. Um, do you fit the culture? Do you fit the, if you, can, if you can really create your value prop and say, I'm gonna build a cadence, of how I'm going to enter the US. Usually it's three years. I would say it could be as short as one, it could be as high as five, but there's a cadence because it's expensive. So you just need to make sure that you've got your, your vision right in terms of what you can tolerate in terms of top line growth and as well spend. I'll just add one thing. I think everything she said, right? But, you know, understand your consumer is everything because then you place your bets on where you want to play. If you think of my comments from five, 10 minutes ago, you might have a great product for the natural channel here in the US. Well, that might be a great place to start. You can invest more in that channel, win there, and then you have a greater selling story for the other retailers where your customers are shopping. So I, I think it's just knowing, knowing your customers and usually good things happen from there. And it's, you know, to your point, it's the consumer engagement. So um, not necessarily in the categories in which most of us compete that are on the phone right now, but um, I really like using bird dogs as an example, right? They're a sneaker brand um, and they were only Instagram. They were, they were hot on like their social media, Instagram, direct to consumer, they had a really good founder story, really good founder story around, um, don't quote me on this, but ex, you know, high-end athlete that realized that um, there was an opportunity to upcycle a lot of recycled product, right? And he created, they created a great founder story and they just, they just ran that flywheel for greater than a year or better and I think they just went public. Don't quote me on that, but I think they just went public. Um, huge success story. Again, big, big picture, you know, not necessarily in the spaces of which we compete, personal care and OTCs, et cetera, but just a good example. Yeah, but do you think that it's very linked to the amount of money which was funding? Like uh, maybe that like this success was funded by an enormous amount of money. Um, like, do you think that the, the key, is, obviously the story is great, but like com comparable uh, brand story, is it like to be super successful like that means a lot of money or what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is um, we work with a lot of startups, um, startups like family funded, um, VC versus private equity. Um, and it's just, it's, it's continuing test and proof, test and proof, right? Drive revenue, build your business case, um, then get funding. So I would say maybe, you know, I, I don't, maybe that was an example of like just having a ton of money, but I would tell you that um, we work with, and, and one of the questions I think you asked Jerome was around, 
you know, this idea of what's hot right now in the U.S., but, you know, I would tell you that small startups, uh, family-owned, female-owned, Black-owned, um, that is what's hot right now in the U.S. in terms of, and these are small startups. They don't have a ton of money. They have just enough to get them to the next point of growth. And then growth then drives incremental investment. Yeah. And to that point, it's like if you were um, if you're advising, let's say I'm 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 a small I'm a regional brand or family-owned brand, and I, you know, I'm I may be a bit well known in, in Europe, but not at all in the US. And then okay, how do I attack the US? Like, do I go to DTC first uh, and then do loads on, on Instagram and um, and Facebook and, and all of that, or do I go to more to uh, Amazon, for example, and, and reduce maybe the cost and, and just make a, a proof of concept? What, what would be your, like if there's, I know it's not one fits all, but in that case, for example, what would be your your first impression? Or yeah, I'm gonna, Anthony, you, I'm gonna have you answer that question just because of the dynamic of Amazon. So, yeah. Sure. So because it takes a, there's a long lead cycle for retail anyway. So I think we should start there, right? You might have a, a line review meeting coming up in a month or two that might, the, the planogram um, well, to get your product on the shelf might take another nine months or a year. So we're big believers in parallel pathing. So, you know, my initial gut off of not having much infodrome is, you know, you, I would parallel path Amazon because there's a low barrier to entry. I'm sure a lot of folks uh, listening now and on the future podcast have know what Seller Central is and selling in the marketplace. You can get that up and running, right? While I would also build your DTC website that might be more educational, informative, and focused on credibility. Because at the end of the day, if they go on Amazon and you're working to get those reviews higher and get that trust, they're probably going to Google you to see where you are, find your DTC website, and to truly understand what the brand's about. I know that we've had a lot of brands early on in their um, development where they would use the DTC website for just that. And instead of having a Shopify link, they would actually send people right to Amazon, right? So they were, they were greasing the flywheel with more glance views, um, but they're also educating and hopefully collecting data so they can create that meaningful relationship with emails and such. So I would, uh, I would definitely get that business plan in place, but I would, I would consider a DTC Amazon approach um, more than retailer.com because using walmart.com as an example, I think they're growing leaps and bounds. They just, they don't have the same amount of fish in the sea that Amazon does. And they're still, you know, uh, working to uh, perfect their platform. So Amazon DTC, uh, while you do focus on the longer term play as well. So, well, super interesting because the, 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 the idea typically with some of the brands who would say, okay, if, if you have a limited budget, maybe you go first on Amazon, you, you wait a bit and then you, you expand on others. But I like the idea of saying, okay, you want to build the story behind it. Another is a very specific question. And, and I know it's difficult because it's theoretical, but if you have a brand and they have a, so let's say they have a, an Amazon, they, they're selling on a seller account, they've got a DTC account, let's say it's Shopify. Um, and they, they're doing a bit of social. Um, they have limited resources in terms of advertising. So that's typically when you expand, that can be the case. Um, where do you think, do you think it's better to focus on one and for example, to use Amazon PPC uh, because that's very uh, effective or do you think that, no, you really need to also start to do a mix and look into what's working best? Or, or, do you have a, a point of view on that? Yeah, lean towards uh, focusing your investment on Amazon, right? There, if you think of DTC versus Amazon, right? Conversion is higher on Amazon than pretty much any other DTC website. So if you want your money to go to good use from an ROI perspective, I think you put it on, on Amazon via pay-per-click investments first. We all know they have other shiny penny offerings, but let's focus on pay-per-click first. And then with anything incremental, if there is incremental, you know, I think you have to figure out as a brand, like what do you want to accomplish? And sending traffic to DTC websites is expensive. So it, there could be a play to build up your social that can kind of tell your story. You can organically get that traffic, right? Uh, via some scrappy, scrappy things. Um, whereas DTC, 
again, we all know it's expensive. It's all expensive to get them there. And then we know it's even harder to get them to click. So I would, I would follow the Amazon route with some incremental brand building, social um, consumer engagement. A lot of sense. On a lighter spike. <laughs> on, on that front, it's like uh, often uh, like American companies coming to Europe often say, wow, it's super cheap to, to do advertising in, in Europe because the, 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 bid, the bids are much lower in, in Europe than in the US. And so vice versa. It's also it means that probably if a brand looks into expanding into the US, they probably need to like be it a big or you small or big brand, they need to expect to have to pay more, right, for, for the US market. Yeah, not only from a pay-per-click standpoint, but this this relates, so follow me here. We have a client that really um, gets the interest in their products via more traditional channels, think TV. And, you know, you think that's old school, but with all of their TV advertising married with their digital marketing, they're sending so much traffic to Amazon organically and on purpose that their Amazon business just continues to you know, catch on fire. So I think there's so many different tricks and hacks to figure out how to, you know, with a limited budget, how to win. We have other clients that are complete opposite and they go with kind of the funny approach in social media and other, other channels where they've developed such a deep loyalty with their consumer base that then they can communicate at the right time, not every time, where to shop for their product. And I think that for scrappier brands, that's what you really want to do. Yeah, well, it's always like the, the funny brands are great when they're funny and then you've got all the other ones which are trying to be funny and that's like, oh, you're, you're feeling sorry for them. Uh, but the ones who do that well normally are really, really good. I wanted to come back to a point which uh, uh, you touched upon is like a, a bit the retailer landscape um, in, in the US. Like we, everyone knows Amazon, everyone knows uh, Walmart, we know here a bit of Target and stuff like that. Could could you give us a broad overview of, of the like the retailer landscape and you know if if you're getting launched and you're focused on e-commerce, where which are the really important ones and the ones which are more of a second step um, important ones? Yeah. Um, so I'll jump in and then Anthony, you jump in. So really good question, um, and I want to be respectful to all of our retailers in the U.S. Um, what I would tell you is that, um, you know, Walmart, Target, Costco, right? So, and I think they're pretty familiar brands uh, globally are doing really well in the marketplace. They've diversified themselves and they've accelerated pretty significantly in terms of their dot-com capability. Um, so I'm going to call those three out in terms of great places to start. Um, the value channel in the U.S., just based on the pocketbook and inflation and, um, you know, unemployment, unemployment, self, self, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But you know, unemployment in the context of, you know, the great resignation um, I think people are being pretty frugal in the context of how they're spending their money. So the value channel is doing terrific right now, Dollar General, Dollar Tree. Um, so that's another channel that's doing really well. Um, Just to be clear, the value channel for you is, is what we would call discounters or uh, yes. lower price points, right? Yeah, a little bit of Lidl, a little bit of, yeah, like, you know, Aldi's, like, right? So... Um, even though I think we, we kind of qualify them a little bit more as grocery versus value, but yeah, in that space of, you know, good, good product at a, at, at a good price, um, grocery for us, us is doing phenomenal. Um, but in part, you know, again, it was, I would say pandemic related in that people were buying right? They were buying a lot more food than they used to buy. And the grocery channel did a really nice job of click and collect, curbside pickup, at-home delivery, um, all of those things. So they're doing really well. What I would call out, and again, I say it respectfully, um, the drug channel, just based on the evolution. So if you think about Walgreens, Boots, right? Um, CVS, Rite Aid, 
they're doing, they're having a little bit of a tougher time in that this idea of front end, back end, healthcare services versus front end product. Um, and they did not have the luxury of being able to do the curbside pickup and the click and collect and the at-home delivery as well as some of the other channels did. Um, the only other thing I want to call out, and then Anthony, you jump in, is, you know, I'm really impressed with what Walmart has been able to do with their dot-com strategy. Target, really impressive. Um, I think Costco is getting there, um, even though they're doing a little bit more like big box, higher-end items. Um, but yeah, I would tell you that's what the landscape looks like right now. And it has shifted. It has shifted. I mean, grocery is king right now in terms of where people are spending their money. Anthony, anything else? You nailed it. I won't speak to speak. I think, um, yeah, I think Walmart, Target, uh, Kroger and the grocery channel for us. Absolutely. These are some of the ones that you think of when you think of they've morphed and evolved pretty quickly here in light of uh, COVID. So if, if I, if like, of course, um, it's a difficult thing to say, but like if we would say, if I had to a roadmap, let's say we would say one and 1.2 is uh, the first one is Amazon. The, the next one is your DTC website. Then what would be yours? Like would be Walmart, then Target, probably depends on the category, but like Walmart in second, Target, Costco, is that what? Or what would you? Yeah, I mean, I would honestly say it depends on the category. So we work with nutrition bars. I would probably have a different approach for nutrition bars. And so what would you do for nutrition bars, let's say? Yeah, nutrition bars, I would probably, I mean, it depends on like the positioning of the brand, right? And, um, but I would probably with nutrition bars, certainly target, certainly target, right? And then you've got some of your, what I would call a, um, alternative channels like the GNCs and the vitamin shops and things like that in terms of pure nutrition. Um, Target probably fits in a better place than Walmart does, but you just don't know. It just, it really depends on the brand, the brand positioning, the pricing. Um, I always think of Costco as once you're in Costco, you, you just have to know that your pricing is set, right? Like they're, they're gonna set your price for you um, to a great extent. So you got Amazon on one side, you got Costco on the other, um, and then there's everything in between. So it really just- You, you, can't, you can't enforce map with Costco, like- uh, You can based on your package, based on your packaging strategy. In other words, you know, you can, as long as you can uniquely build for Costco, that separates you from okay. other yeah. retailers. So it's portfolio, you know, portfolio strategy. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, yeah, you need to have the portfolio which fits to to what you're looking for to have. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Different skews. Um, okay. And like for me, looking from far away, uh, in my mind, at least Walmart is very similar to Amazon in the fact that it's as wide and like trying to be the second Amazon. Is that would is that a, would you say that accurate or? Jerome, was that a question more about selection? Perception, customer perception and selection. Yeah, I mean, I'd say so. I think um, they're both, you know, Walmart is striving to be an open marketplace. They have a marketplace. It continues to grow. But I'd say yes, mainly from a selection standpoint, right? Who do you think of when you need to look for anything, right? You're going to Amazon and Walmart.com generally. And then for the folks that, you know, there's incredibly loyal people to Target, Target doesn't have that open marketplace, right? So people that are that love their assortment, you'll go there pretty quickly as long as you're, you know, an avid shopper. But I would say Amazon and Walmart.com far so away. Owns, yeah, who owns a marketplace in those? So Amazon, of course, Walmart has got an open marketplace for third-party sellers to come in. Who else on, on the US market has got a marketplace like that, which is open? Like that? Um, so Target Plus is closed. You know, there's pure play accounts that have some level of marketplaces where they have like some distributor relationships with the big guys. But in terms of like, a, you know, a consumer, they're going to those two. And then the, the third one is a distant. 
So all the others are basically working in one P, like what we call one P in Amazon, right? With a vendor account. So you have to sell to target. So they have to buy your products for, for you to be on, on their on their website, right? For most of their items, there's some clients of ours that will have, you know, a 1P relationship, but maybe for tail items or incremental items, they'll say, hey, put them in our marketplace, even though, again, that that marketplace is closed versus what, you know, in Amazon Seller Central. Okay. Okay. That, that's, I think, um, yeah. But I think the evolution is coming, right? I think what I would tell anyone that's thinking ahead two, three, four years, be ready to learn how to sell on consignment. <clears throat> And, and be ready to learn to get your product from your warehouse or a, a partner 3PL to the end shopper's house. That's coming. I mean, it's here now, but it's going to come bigger. And I don't, I think a lot of brands are nervous because they can't get over the financial implications, the tax implications and beyond, which we get. Um, but I think there's only so much space in these fulfillment centers, right? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's... Um... Anthony, I think, and, you know, back to the global audience, I think that's an important aspect of, you know, kind of where the U, it's predictions, right? Like where the U.S. might be going. Um, but, you know, stats in terms of like Walmart right now is opening a new facility in Mississippi. And that facility is just pick, pack, ship, right? They are no longer, like Walmart used to be ship it in pallets, put it on an end cap and watch a fly. Um, Walmart is moving so quickly in terms of um, creating capability around pick, pack and ship. Don't quote me on the number, but I think they have, um, actually don't, I'm not even gonna throw out a number here, but there are a number of Walmart stores within the US that they're using as call it distribution centers for same day delivery, uh, whether it's shipping it, whether it's delivering it with a truck. Um, and so these stores are becoming hubs of, you know, yes, you can still walk in as a consumer and buy, but these stores are also holding inventory to serve, right? A radius of um, geography that is pretty significant. And Walmart's not the only one doing it, but to Anthony's point around at some point, based on how they're turning inventory, there may come a day where they come back to manufacturers and they say, we're buying you, it's on consignment. As we sell it, we pay you, right? Um, which is not the current business model in the US. It's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, like uh, logistics will become more and more important. I remember uh, Jeff Bezos saying, for example, he was, with his uh, space uh, adventures, he was saying that actually Amazon arrived because logistics, like some people have built the logistics and he wanted to build this for the future people wanting to go to uh, on the moon or wherever. They he have, yeah. have created like a, a network of ch a cheaper way of, of doing it. So like what you're saying is that this is going to grow more and more like um, um, mm -hmm. the Walmarts will try to leverage their strengths of having a lot of stores uh, and, and brands will have to get into, okay, how do I ship myself into a one day, like how can I get that one day delivery? Uh, thing? Yeah. That, that's really interesting in terms of, okay, how you're investing in terms of your teams and the capabilities internally to, to drive that, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's where the growth is here too. We have like companies like GoPuff and, you know, there's like Uber Eats and DoorDash. They're, they're expanding um, not only their infrastructure, but what, what they deliver from a category perspective. So I know we're talking about big retail, but again, if you think of the next few years, they're going to be big players in a different way. That's super interesting. What, one question is like, I was uh, talking to a friend uh, the other day and uh, we were talking about this logistics uh, and, you know, the future of logistics. And he, and he said, you know, why don't we have an option to have green like deliveries in terms of saying, okay, I'm ready. I don't need it tomorrow. I can, I can, it can take more time and it, it, it becomes a greener thing because the, the thing of having this one hour delivery or one day delivery is probably very costly, not green in sense like not very, you know, healthy for, for the planet. Um, this and, and on top, and there's another thing is sometimes I don't order on Saturdays because otherwise a guy will come and deliver on the Sunday. And for me, I don't really need that on the Sunday. 
And I said, you know, I'd rather have the guy, you know, rest than, you know, and, you know, you'll be mm -hmm. delivering on, on the Monday. So it's like, and and for now, you don't see those options of saying, okay, do, do, are you, you know, would you want to have a, a greener delivery, a longer one, or do you really want a one day delivery with what it entails in terms of social costs and, and green costs? It's a very European kind of question, but I think it's, um, is that some, would that make resonate in the US or not really? Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes just because you know from a consumer perspective um, I don't know if like Amazon is doing that now so you know I'm probably online every day I was like I forgot the toothpaste I forgot this I forgot that right and um, and they're now asking that question in terms of you know are you okay if we bundle you've got three orders can we bundle the order and ship it to you on Friday. And sometimes they'll give you like $2 off, you know, Amazon Prime or whatever it is. Um, but I think they're starting to realize that there's efficiency in at least asking the consumer the question for sure. So, yeah. I mean, Anthony, I don't, you might know it better from a business perspective. I'm speaking from a consumer standpoint. <laughs> yeah. The only one I've seen do it is Amazon. I mean, I think of course, there's a segment of population that cares about green and eco initiatives. I, I think there's a large percent of the population that almost wants uh, Amazon to figure out what I want before I even order it. And it's on my doorstep when I get off this mm -hmm. webinar, right? So uh, I think it depends, but I've only seen Amazon in terms of implementing it. Yep. Yeah, okay. So I think that that's something which is interesting. I'm, and I don't know if it will be retailer-led or brand-led, this kind of thinking of saying, okay, as a brand, I need to be ready to deliver within one day. And typically the, the, the situation in Europe is that you have borders, right? So the, the one day delivery thing is super complicated. It's even more complex because, okay, uh, the transport company is probably one in one each country. So you have different hubs. And as a brand, the, the question of say, okay, how do I try to compete if I, in my D2C exercise with you know the Amazons is probably to like shape it in a way which you're not really competing against and say, okay, this is a green deli green uh, delivery or, you know, you'll get it in three or four days. It's still okay, right? Yeah. So I think that's very interesting and uh, that will probably be led by, you know, brands which uh, like are not, or that's part of their values and are not afraid of trying to test those kinds of things. Um, I don't, yeah, and, and that's something that will, will be... Uh, Interesting to see in the future. Now, I don't know, in terms of, um, we talked about uh, successful and non-successful brands. Uh, one question I like to ask often is like, do you have a, a success story? Um, and like, not, and interestingly, maybe not someone who's got millions of dollars. It's not like someone, what, uh, in terms of strategy and, you know, they, they had a plan, they, they implemented it and they, they were successful versus, Okay, uh, maybe somewhere something which was less of a success, and the learnings in those cases. Hmm. Anthony, do you have an? Ex I, I'm trying to think of. Um, you know, Grove comes up for me all the time, but I think um, I think Dude is actually a really great example as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about the brand? So, uh, because I'm not sure I don't, I, if I know. Yeah, Anthony, do you want to talk to you or is there somebody else that you want to? Yeah, I, I love their story. They're a perfect case study of a company that digitally native brand, so they didn't come from Europe or elsewhere. Digitally native brand, uh, you know, really great founders. They had a, you know, a, a wipe for men. I won't explain further. Uh, and they grew their, um, loyal customer base, their, their shoppers by really connecting with the brands. And they told a great story and had snarky humor, still snarky humor today, um, you know, crushed it online uh, over time, a lot of hard work, um, and then took that success and, online and had a really great selling story for the retailers. So, you know, if you think of what we talked about early on, it's the retailers care about what's hot on Amazon and, and Instagram or beyond. So if you can truly highlight this, not only the sales growth, but what are the reviews saying? You know, did you create a new category? Did you disrupt some things? And um, then you naturally will grow 
into the retailer space, obviously in the channels that you care about. So I think that's a great story. And Rhonda, I love the Grove story. If, if you don't want to, if you don't mind. Yeah, talking I, about it. So, uh, yeah. So Grove collaborative, um, was the company they were D to C based and they definitely had their own brands, but they also carried brands from other manufacturers as well, but they had a great, you know, when I said this, I think earlier on, they had a great founder story, which was around sustainability. And so they had products that were um, refillable and then they had the refills, right? Um, really around sustainability. It was really around natural cleaning and, and again, all on trend. And uh, they had a significant business on direct consumer and they wanted to expand in the marketplace, um, Amazon, as well as Target, um, and now even beyond Target. And we help them with, and I say this we, meaning, you know, from a strategic standpoint, we really needed to make sure that we did not disrupt and or cannibalize their online business as they started going into brick and mortar. And, um, it's just been an amazing success story. Like Target fell in love with them in terms of a brand. It took some time, trust me. Um, it took some time that Target ended up falling in love with them and um, put some exclusivity around the brand, the brand name. They brought it into store. Um, do, you have, do you have any really tips? Yeah, sorry. Do you have any tips on how to protect? Like, how did they, what did they do? Like, it's, different SKUs or do you have a few tips you could share, which is yeah. like not secret. Yeah, really good um, point. So I'm always going to go back to pricing, which you've got to have pricing in a really good place. And I think you have to hold firm because once you give in, you can never go up. You can only, only go down. Um, so I always start there because that's really critical to a business's P&L, right? Your, your margin and everything else. So I always say start with price, but um I, I think it's a really good point, point Jerome, in, in terms of like the assortment, making sure that it was unique to uh, Target and it resonated with the guest, right? So Target guest is consumer in the US um, and what was online was not necessarily what was gonna resonate in, in the Target door. So yeah, I would say assortment, but I always go back to the four Ps, which are product positioning, your pricing, right? All of that stuff is really critical as you're thinking about expansion. Okay, so, and do you, yeah. That could be expansion within the U.S. or it could be expansion from international into the U.S. How do you make sure that you're holding all those threads together to make sure you're protecting your brand um, and or within locally? Makes sense. And do you have an example of uh, like a, a failure or something where it didn't go as 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 predicted? Unless nice story. Repeat the question. What was your question? <laughs> like, like not as like, like yeah. Yeah, I'll call it obviously not by name. And I actually don't think this company's failure at all. I actually think they have good business. But one element where if you don't have a plan and you're selling to anybody, distributors, retailers, name other folks where you just want the sale, we all know there's a downstream negative impact to your business because once that product's out there, people are savvy. There's a lot of hustlers out there going to resell your product. And what I see with not only this brand, but many other brands is they're competing with themselves, not only for the, the end sale, the margin. And we all know on Amazon and other platforms that when you're competing with yourself, we all know they're not putting their best foot forward to show up well in the digital shelf. So it impacts, you know, what the shoppers think about your brand. So I think it's, that's kind of one watch out. I say about selling to anybody, be careful about the implications. Yeah, and I guess, Jerome, now that Anthony's talking, the only other thing I would add is the importance of your investment and the saturation of the market. So one of the things that, you know, we counsel clients on is make sure you understand like the future potential growth. I'll use probiotic, prebiotic as a great example. Like that space is so crowded right now in the U.S. Um, you don't even know. You don't even know. As a consumer, you don't even know what to buy at this point, what's good, 
is it 30 million, you know, um, pre-probiotic, you know, strains, is it whatever. Um, but my point is it's a really crowded market. And so remit, like, as you guys are thinking about entering guys and gals, um, really understand the competitive space. What's the, what's the upside for the category? Who are your competition? And then how do you separate yourself, right? What's your value prop versus everything else that's in the market right now? Because there are some categories that are pretty saturated. So. Yeah, so what I take from the different things you've said is first is like, it's, and that's wherever you are in the world is what's your brand story, right? What's the story of your product? And that goes from the founder story to you know, what, why are you here? Why this product? And what, what your like, like uh, points of differences and points of guarantee and so on. So it's basically all that. It's like, make sure you have a great story to tell to consumers and a great product, of course. So the second one. And then third is like, start from... Uh, small maybe or a few in terms of distribution and going step by step and being super careful about the pricing because mm-hmm. uh, I love what you said Rona that's true and also everywhere in the world is like well, especially with Amazon is once you go down is like there's no way up again um, I was talking with a customer in Europe saying okay I want to ex- I want to grow my prices increase my prices on a vendor account so probably can take it six months, a year, or never, right? So um, those are the five things which I think is it's true, actually, wherever you are. But is there something where, and that would be maybe our parting thought, is like to, to, like this thing, having a special, a good proposal, understanding the competitive environment, cool. But is there something specific which really works well or you need to be weary of when you're going to state if you're non-American? Uh, of you know what what it takes to be successful in the states, well, one simple thing or cultural or anything which would be uh, uh, like uh, on not really book marketing, right? Which is a bit like your gut feeling of okay when you feel uh, and a foreign brand is coming and not getting the, the American culture where or no you know a, a French, an Italian, a German brand coming to. America and understanding the, the culture. Do you have a like as a yeah, I, gift? Yeah, I don't know if there's one thing. Um, I don't know if there's one thing, honestly. Like, you know, as I was thinking about the question of, and I think everybody gets this that's on the call right now, but, you know, your branding and your packaging right? Does it resonate in the U.S.? So your brand means X in the U.S., right? We've, we've been through this where some brands just don't translate at all. Um, I think packaging is really critical. Um, do and you need I, e-commerce? Would you, like, sorry to challenge yeah, on that, yeah? I do. Like, I was just yeah. going to say, even on e-commerce, like, we worked with a client about a year ago on a global brand, Indian, out of India, and um, the packaging was not going to resonate in the U.S. in terms of even on Amazon, um, what the what the product was, medicine based cure for an ailment, and the packaging was red. Red is like, you know, red is like red flag in the U.S. And we're like, you know, I'm just giving you that one example, but. We're like, can we just change the color of the packaging? Because red is negative in the context of this type of a situation, um, you know, medicine needed for X um, versus something much more calming, much more confident, much more. So I'm just giving that as an example, but branding and packaging is really hard. But what I would also say is that marketers and companies are very passionate about their brands, right? So they're like, but we're not changing our brand or our branding or packaging. Um, But recognizing those nuances in terms of the US versus another market and or one market versus multiple markets is really critical. Um, That's the only thing that I'm thinking of, Anthony. Anything else in your mind? Yeah, I actually learned this from you and a few others at MPG. I, I, and 
real live examples. I think channel and retailer platform prioritization, have your roadmap, win, and then grow. I think it's, a, it's mm -hmm. as simple as that to me. Yep, I agree. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for everyone for listening. I think that um, that was really interesting. Thank you very much for your wisdom. And have a great afternoon, great evening for the people here. And I look forward to seeing you, everyone, on the next webinar. Thanks, you, Rhonda. Thank you, Anthony. Jerome, thank you for including us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a good care, afternoon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.